G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. I'm Rowan Connolly. And I'm Mark Fine. We're here to wrap up a big round four, a week when I think it's fair to say the wheat began to be separated from the chaff. Except in South Australia where, I don't know which is the good one, wheat or chaff, but the the two South Australian teams, Adelaide and Port Adelaide, uh, got a reminder from the two teams that are going to go around on Anzac Day. So it was a nice warm-up for us in Collingwood, climbing well, a couple of good scalps. Interesting you say warm-up too, because the weather was anything but warm. It was wet in Melbourne. It was windy in Canberra. In fact, Perth was okay. But uh, all over the rest of the uh, football-playing countryside, it was pretty grim. So uh, More football-like weather, of course, except at Etihad, where it's always climate-controlled. But uh, you're right, there was... A separation, and certainly, apart from the great game between Sydney and the Bulldogs, there wasn't a lot of nails to be bitten on the weekend. The games were pretty well. Die was cast pretty early in a lot of these games. Well, let's drill down to them in great and intricate detail. It's time now for the wraparound. Okay, Finey, normally we have three feature games and we do them in more detail. We're going to do four this week because uh, I thought there were some fairly significant results, none the least of which was the first game of the round, Friday night in Adelaide, and what a fantastic win for the Pies against the Crows. Eight goals, same margin as the grand final, and a few similarities, I reckon. They bought the heat and the Crows couldn't really cope with it. No, there was... Look, there was a glimmer of hope there as... Towards the uh, end of the third quarter, Adelaide were trying to mount some sort of a response. But actually, Collingwood held them at arm's length. Stevenson had a breakout game. This is a wonderful return from a first-year player. But the real problem, Adelaide knew that they had an issue when the two Crouchers got injured. And they're out for a substantial period of time. Against St Kilda the previous week, that was not exposed. But Collingwood has some depth in the midfield. And... This was a game that Collingwood was, in hindsight, well poised to take on. Yeah, well, their record on the road over the years has been pretty handy, isn't it? They seem to sort of galvanise themselves for the, the us-against-them thing. But I think the the um, probably the best takeaway for me was the way they played. And, and it was talked about during the game, their use of handball. They ended up with 56 more handballs than the Crows. But... They used it really well, and it, it gave them quicker ball movement, and that's been their Achilles heel for the last couple of years. They, they win enough of the ball, but their build-up into the Ford 50 is really slow. That didn't happen on Friday night. They took it through the corridor. They used handball to do it, and that quick delivery really helped. Stevenson got off the leash. Um, side bottom was fantastic again. Jesus is a great player. Um, and, the, and the Crows couldn't cope with it. Just on their midfield... 
you know, the problem to me is I look at them on paper and I think yeah, there is enough depth there and they added Gibbs to the mix. The problem is they can't ever seem to get them all playing well on the one night and Douglas had a really poor game. He's usually reasonably reliable for them. Sloan was absolutely held at arm's length. I think physically as well as uh, not being able to get to the ball, he was um, he was forcefully dealt with in a legal manner. Most times he was uh, near the ball. Well, it was interesting how they played him too. Sidebottom picked him up at stages. Um, I think Aish was picking him up at stages. Yep. So they, they, they shared the duties around a bit, but it really took a toll on him because he wasn't getting enough support. Um, the who, cro- who do you reckon the best defender on the ground was? Oh, um, no, you tell me. You've well, I, I, thought got Lind- right I thought Lyndon Dunn. You know, yeah. And Lyndon Dunn is obviously a no-frills recruit from Melbourne at the end of his career and subject to a little bit of criticism when Collingwood started the season poorly. But I actually thought he was the best tall defender, controlled his area, controlled his man. And once again, the Adelaide captain did not uh, force the issue when the game might have been better to be won. All right, I'll ask you this. Does that result in isolation make us rethink where we reckon both sides are at? Um, Collingwood, I wouldn't say, don't go yet. You know, let's see a couple more weeks. Adelaide, I've got a lot of faith in them. I tipped them to win the flag. But it, I must say, I'm beginning to worry about the number of times they have an ordinary day and are unable to pull themselves out of it. Now, they did it against the Pies last year. You remember when they were 50 points down, came back That's and right. drew? Yes. But the grand final, you know, the game against North last year down in Hobart, Melbourne at home last year. You know, there are too many occasions with the Crows where you just, it's like they just go, geez, oh, this isn't our day, and they sort of check out. Yeah. Again, I was less bullish about them, but could see. I, I can see with the two crouches in that side, because of what it does at the coalface, what it allows Sloan to do, Gibbs to do, and other players who enjoy a bit of freedom of movement on the outside, I want to judge them when they're playing. But the fact is, especially Brad Crouch, if he doesn't come back for the bulk of the home and away season, I think a top two finishes beyond them. And anything beyond top two becomes problematic. Yeah, and uh, looks like it could be without bets for a bit too. Hamstring yeah. injury for him. So um, injuries haven't been kind to him. And it's, it's a good test of a side which we thought may now have enough depth. But uh, you know, perhaps there's a, a few doubts emerging about the cries. All right, there's our first feature game. Feature game number two, and this was a cracker finding. I thought in terms purely of the football, this was the game of the round. Saturday twilight, Western Bulldogs uh, v Sydney. Absolute thriller. Swans getting home by seven points. What would you make of that? Love the game. Yeah. It's fair to say that the Bulldogs should not have been in the position they were throughout that last quarter, chasing Sydney's tail. They were inaccurate in the first half, and... Unfortunately, Josh Dunkley, not just the over-replayed drop mark at the end of the game, but he had a couple of three or four chances to kick goals that he missed and in the end became probably one of the reasons he actually tried to mark it and move with the ball so Mm. he didn't have to go behind a man on the mark. Four points he finished with. Yeah, so they fluffed their lines a bit, whereas Sydney confirmed that there is a dearth up front Without Sam Reid, I mean, they just rely on Buddy. They really do. They can say that they don't, and they can hope that <coughs> Papley chimes in. They can hope that Haywood gets goals, and Heaney, and, of course, Florent. We'll talk about that at some point during the program. But 
it revolves around whether or not Buddy can bust it open. He did, and it was a great, it was such an interesting finish to the game as the doggies came at them, and almost like Brisbane losing to Port Adelaide with a shallow kick that was um, taken on the line by Pollock, a shallow kick by Caleb Daniel, he should have been able to get a point there and level the scores, was a recipe for disaster. Well, it was a fascinating finish, wasn't it? Because the guy who almost gave the game away for the Swans, incredibly, was Luke Parker, who had that ball with about a minute and a half left, turned it straight over, yeah. I think, to Daniel. Yeah, and Daniel kicked a... Look, Daniel kicked a great goal around his body to bring yeah, him yeah. to that point. But he just... He did some um, sort of fancy footwork, and it seemed to take the energy out of his kick, and he just yeah. couldn't kick the 40 metres. I tell you, um, your point about Reid uh, and the Swans, I, I agree with that to a point, but I, I thought they manufactured goals pretty well. And to that end, um, I really want to wrap up Isaac Heaney. I thought he was the guy that really lifted him when he went midfield. Yep. He's going to be another you know, 10-year top midfielder for them. He's, he's an absolute gun. But that allowed Parker to slip forward, and Parker ended up with three goals. I love Rampy's game as well out of defence. Class act, all Australian, you probably expect that. And I reckon Callum Sinclair continues to do pretty well for them in the ruck and, and when he drifts forward. So, you know, th their capacity to keep sort of ro overcoming obstacles um, and just hang in there even when they're not doing that well, which they weren't at stages in that game, I, I think is remarkable. They're, they're a great side and it was a... It was a great win for them, I reckon. Where, where do you see the doggies now? They've had two shockers, two pretty good weeks, but only got the win in one of them. Do you think they can sustain that level of effort? Yeah. These are the positives for them. Tim English is a, a real good yeah, find. They've good. got a, a good ruckman to build a midfield around. The form of Dalhouse was an improvement this week. Look, he's a good player. They need more out of him. Uh, Mitch Wallace showed a bit as well. We know that there's no Liberatore this year. They're, as a side, they are confusing because, of course, they're going now with Dixon in the forward line. It's a relatively short forward line, mm. apart from Redpath. So where's Boyd? Where's Shackey? Is this how they're going to play the season out? But what they do have is a bit of um, referred... You know, it's like muscle memory. If you haven't gone to gym for a year, you can go back there and perform better than people would think you would looking at you. They are a team that played in a premiership, had a premiership season two years ago. And I was just going to say I have no comprehension <laughs> of that concept. <laughs> it counts for something. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does. If they get in a tussle with a really good team, mm. they're not overawed. I thought, um, I know he's not listed in the best actually, but I, I thought Dixon's start to that game was really good. Yeah, it was good. So, yeah, look, Boyd, I think Boyd might have kicked five in the VFL. So... Yep. Um, I guess it gives them some options, but at least you can say now the effort's back where in those first two games it patently wasn't when they got blown away by what, 82 points and 51 points, I think. So one out of four doesn't look great, but they'll win far more games than they lose if they bring that level of effort to most weeks. Aaron Norton's a good young kid. Hey, he's good. And Gowers, I thought, had his moments. Yeah, and Biggs, is there a competition now cross-club with this crazy hairdo, this... He's got the Joe Dirt going, does he? Uh, Biggs? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Was it Biggs? Yeah, I think it was. Number 24. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's he done? I don't even know. Oh, there's mullets. There's mullets. Undercut mullets. Yeah. With cheesy moustaches. Yeah. Know, it's, it's an interesting thing to aspire to, to have the worst 
look on a football field. And that's the sort of incisive cutting analysis you get on this show. I will give you a, a piece up. of... OK, I'll give you quickly a piece of cutting analysis from that game. Caleb Daniel at three-quarter time was headed back to the VFL. It's a strange mindset where a player can't get in the game and almost told by the coach, pull your finger out, mate, this is unacceptable. He had a great last quarter and he almost got them over the line. All right, well, I'm telling you to pull your finger out because that little interlude meant we just went about 40 seconds over schedule. So let's go to game three. Essendon Port Adelaide. Didn't expect this to happen. Can't say I'm upset that it happened. The Bombers, about 100% better effort than last week. Led Port Adelaide start to finish. Uh, Port, you know, brief little challenge here, got within about 19 points, but the Bombers just kept replying to everything Port threw at them. I thought it was a great win. I thought Stringer played easily his best game for them. I thought Stewart was terrific up forward. But Dyson Heppel played a wonderful game, easily the best game he's played this year, really led by example. He did turn the ball over a lot in that first quarter. Yeah, but he got it 11 times, you know, that's more than he's been doing. Um, David Myers, who had probably the worst game of his career last week, I thought responded really well. And finally, finally, it happened. They sent Cale Hooker back to defence. Look what happened. He held them up. Hurley was able to zone off and, and win a million touches and be one of the best players on the ground. Goddard floating around half-back did his part. The whole defence looked better. I thought uh, McDonald Tip and Woody brought a lot more pressure than he has been. They just clicked all over the ground. And uh, actually, this guy deserves a mention because I was really unhappy with him last week. Tom Bell Chambers got towelled up by Tim English last week. And he, admittedly, Paddy Ryder not playing today, so he didn't have a, a huge name opponent. He had no opponent. He, they went with Dougal Howard. But he was good. He, Bell Chambers was He was, was very good. good. He yeah. showed some influence. Yeah. You, have you intentionally not mentioned Jake Stringer? No, I did. I said... You should be effusive about him. He was the first name I mentioned. No, he was terrific. You should be over the top because he... He was good. He showed a bit of punch and a bit of... He did. And his teammates loved it. His yeah. teammates got into his sort of um, mindset of yeah. excitement. This was so different to how you thrashed Port last year. Because remember, of course, that was the game where Essendon were declared uh, the quickest hands and slickest movers in the game. They, they lived off that probably for too long. <laughs> About eight months, maybe. Well, yeah. really, I think they did. And yeah. maybe it was a... Um, it was a Pyrrhic victory in that it didn't help them win any wars. But yeah. this sort of victory does help you win wars. There was no space for any Port player to move. They, no. were, they were caught with the ball as a result. Terrible, you know, unacceptable errors by Boak, Watts. Mm. When they were within sort of reach of pulling the game back, it was really an ex- exemplified the pressure or implied pressure that Essendon were bringing for the entire afternoon. I was shocked in the centre of the ground how little space there was and how it always seemed to be one port player besieged and clearly a dominant dominant number of Essendon players at these at these um, lockdown situations. A great sign. I want, I want to mention two more Western guys and you talk about Port. Um, Michael Hartley came in late for Mitch Brown, thought he did a wonderful job on Dixon. And Zach Merritt, you know, they, they, people were really beginning to worry whether that pre-season concussion yep. had really um, affected his game for a whole month. Easily the best game he's played all season, back to his best. And, you know... <laughs> This is the thing with Essendon. They've gotten this pattern of winning the games they're not expected to and, and fluffing their lines, the, the games they are expected to win. But if they can you know, bring that sort of form week to week, they might end up fulfilling the sort of level people expected of them. 
I'm a big believer in Port. Very disappointing today. Has your faith in them been shaken? I've got a real problem with Port Adelaide. You didn't have any faith in them, did you? Not a now lot. No, well, again, you couldn't help but be impressed after the first two weeks. I guess that Brisbane game was a, a sign of some concerns, but not as much as this that really worries me about Port Adelaide. Mm. And they've had some great seasons over the last five years under Ken Hinckley, mm. a couple of disappointing years. But I don't think they really believe in themselves. Really? I, when it absolutely comes down to taking the big game by the scruff of the neck, for example, today, and I know this isn't the biggest of games, but what's Robbie Gray's mindset? 35 metres out, clearly their best player, takes a really good intercept mark, and Pollock runs around the back of him and he handballs to him. Mm. Why isn't Gray having a shot? And then he gets a kick about five minutes later, closer to goal, and his eyes are darting everywhere. He's looking for anything but the responsibility of kicking the goal. Tom Rockliffe... Where, well, hang on, which is interesting, because I thought Gray was by a million miles their best, their best player. player. But, but yeah. where's the... Cometh the hour, cometh the man. No, no, true. The same man that won the game against St Kilda so brilliantly yeah. last year. I'm surprised at that mindset. Quickly, Rockliffe. What is Rockliffe's He's story? hurt. He, oh, you could see him. He actually limped off at one stage. I'd be mm. absolutely staggered if he plays next week. He's carrying something. What did he end up with? Eight, nine disposals? Oh, he, he looked terrible. Yeah. No, no, they've got to give him a spell, I think, whatever it is. Yep. All right, good win for the Bombers. Uh, maybe a few questions about Port, and we have no undefeated teams after four weeks. That's right. All right, let's move on to feature game number four, and it was a little bit later at the MCG. Hawthorne, Melbourne, good test for both sides. Fair to say one passed with flying colours, and the other one, whew, 67 points. The Hawks absolutely towel them up, Finey. And this is after... The, the Demons kicked three of the first four goals of the game. Bar Viney, who's... I think Melbourne's got a full list. Um, Pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? When you're playing Hawthorne and they've got no Burgoyne and Rioli goes down at half-time and Frawley's off with a, for a full quarter with a migraine and... Puopolo. Puopolo does a hamstring. You need, to, you need to show that you have got the ability to get a good team when they're undermanned. Uh, Mitchell's not as influential, and Melbourne cannot, they cannot win an argument after quarter time. Mm. It was very disappointing. Well, it was three of the first four for the Demons. Hawthorne proceeded to kick 11 of the next 12. Um, I'll tell you what I love about about the Hawks, and it's not brain surgery, they are a smart football team for oh, yeah, They are very smart. They, and it, yeah. and it counts for more now than it used to. Brilliantly uh, coached. Yeah, and it's not just that. It's the, their players are football smart. And good evidence of it, I actually didn't see the final stats, but when I looked early in the last quarter, Melbourne were actually winning contested possession. I think they were winning the clearances as well. You look at that, and it's not always a fast, safe guide, but how can Hawthorne be winning by that much if they're losing contested ball? Okay, we've seen this with Hawthorne a bit over the years, but... All the Melbourne guys, but you could see it happening. All the Melbourne guys crowding around the stoppages and getting in too close. They had no one on the outside. The Hawk bikes know when to come in, when to peel off their man, when to yep, create right. space from the stoppage, and they utilised it beautifully. And in conditions like that, there's often a, a bit of a misnomer that it's always hard in and under types that are, are going to decide games played in the wet. And they do to an extent. 
But if you can get good, efficient users of the footy who know how to find space, they're invaluable. And I, I thought to that end, Isaac Smith's game was terrific. He's had a good season so far, Isaac. Yeah, and, and look, the other great thing for the Hawks too was that Tom Mitchell, relatively subdued by his standards, against up uh, Nathan Jones, tagging him. But Liam Shields played out of the box. Jager O'Meara played probably his best game yep. for the year. So, you know, responsibility, the guys that needed to rise to the challenge did so. And I don't reckon they're back to where they were, but, geez, they're, they're good, clearly good enough to play finals. If you look at Hawthorne's list, they don't have a heap of depth. No. You see some of the names that are emergencies, and, it, you know, I, I sort of am surprised that Jono O'Rourke <clears> is still, you know, in the discussion, for example. Sorry, Jono, but that's what you've given Hawthorne since you've been there. So they are relying on some older guys. Whitecross uh, is called upon again. Stratton's an important player this year. Frawley's needed. They are able somehow, even Puopolo, who people thought they might offload at the end of last year, mm. is an important player. So, so this will test them. Rioli, Puopolo, Burgoyne. Injuries will test them. Yeah. And it's, again, down to the wisdom of Clarkson and the nous of the players to work through it. We'll see if they can. All right, what about the Demons? Um, terribly disappointing. I, I've decided to take the glass-half-full attitude to their first three weeks, which was they came back from five goals down against Geelong, should have won. They let slip a seven-goal lead against Brisbane, steadied, and ended up pulling away again. They shrugged off a challenge from North and again scored heavily at the end and won by 37 points. So I decided to go, that's a sign of a good side. Today... They needed to really be a hard at it, hard at it, hard the contest, hard the man side. That was shocking. Do, do, you, do you think they're mentally fragile? Melbourne's greatest problem is Melbourne. They, mm. So, yes. Do they, yeah, absolutely. Do they believe in themselves? Do they have enough players to consider during a game to be able to say, you know, this is just unacceptable, I am going to be the difference. Mm. You know, I think Viney is one of those players, so yeah. we sorely missed. I know Petrarca is one of those players. Today, look like Hogan was one of those players. Mm. But are there others? Is Tyson? Is Salem? Is And these are, are smart footballers, but are they? have they shown that they are the sort of players that can turn the tide and impose themselves when things aren't going right. Which is the real test of a couple of sides, really, just looking overall. A couple of sides that we really fancied appear to be sides that when things go against them, they're not necessarily going to fight back. It's not a good sign for a side that wants to win a flag. All right, there's our four feature games. Still five more to get through. Don't worry, fans of these sides. We haven't ignored you. We'll do them chronologically. So, Saturday afternoon in Canberra, GWS... Beat Fremantle by 31 points. Dockers only seven points down at half time, but six goals to two after half time. Difficult conditions, windy. Um, good signs for GWS. You know, some of the older players, uh, Griffin, Deledio, who I'll talk about later, I thought were really good. It's a sort of con- it was the sort of conditions and that score on half time that made you think, oh, this might be Frio's day. But GWS closed it out pretty efficiently, I reckon. Freya had a great game against GWS last year. They just went down. I think they fancy themselves against GWS. They've got a lot of young players who are not um, over... They're not daunted by some of the young stars at 
GWS, maybe they graduated around the same time, but um, they seem to enjoy playing against them. Inaccuracy and maybe an overuse of the ball allowed them to be, at least on the scoreboard in the game, at half-time. And then in the third quarter, GWS, again, missed some opportunities, but at this point, Fremantle couldn't move the ball out of their back line. They were, they were stuck. Yeah. They, they, if they got a point every time they kicked the ball over the centre, or two points, they still couldn't have won that game after half-time. They couldn't move it properly. They're still outperforming where I had them on the ladder, which was admittedly yep. really low. GWS getting the job done. All right. And um, I just want to mention, quick. selfishness by Lockie Neal. Look, he's a great player. Oh, yeah, that was Gets shocking. a lot of ball. Yeah. That was terrible. They needed a goal, and he... Took it on himself and missed. All right, speaking of terrible, how's this for a scoreline? Massacre at the G. Richmond 16 14, 110. Brisbane 2 5 17. 93 points. Uh, Brisbane had bought three weeks, a really good effort, collapsed in a heap. Tigers starting to look more and more imposing. Yeah, I'll just look at it from the Richmond perspective. They're the best team in the competition. They won the flag last year and they did with a lot of young players who are developing. In, continuing on. This was the first week they had the premium midfield of Prestia, Caddy, Cochin, who was best on ground. Mm. Martin was able to play forward and menaced with six goals. They are... Who's chasing them and who's bridging the gap? Nobody. At this stage. Well, we had the... Um, we had some big margins this round, didn't we? The second biggest margin of round four came down in Hobart on Saturday night. Absolute disaster for the Blues from even before the bounce when skipper Mark Murphy pulled out with that, uh, what is it, plantar fascia? Um, and it didn't augur well for them and they responded suitably with four goals for the entire evening. The Roos, I, I held fast to my line that I thought the Roos would be a better side than many thought. Yes, they've only beaten Carlton, but 18 8, 1 16, it's a pretty imposing scoreline. Five to Brown, three to Waite, three to Atley, three to Zeeble. I shared them around. Um, 86 points. Does this say more about North or Carlton, this result? Um, I think it, in equal doses it says about both of them. But for North supporters, a very, uh, almost a salve. The curse, the Hawthorne curse may have lifted somewhat. Because you ask any North supporter as to what Hawthorne has given them in players over the last decade... Mm. Hived off some problems off field, cost them a fortune, but in their best were both Jed Anderson mm. and Hartung. Yes, so good maybe call. the curse is lifting. Yeah, no, it's a good point. All right, the uh, battle of the coasts, uh, West Coast, Gold Coast. Um, thought the Suns were okay; they were within a goal at quarter time, but jeez, uh, it collapsed shortly after. Eight goals to one in the second quarter. And uh, it was only going to end in tears after that. 80 points, the final margin. Josh Kennedy's not bad, is he? First game back, a cool five goals. Uh, four to Cripps, three to Darling, two to Lacroix and Rioli. Um, Gold Coast, look, I'll let them off that one. They've, they've had three pretty reasonable weeks, so I reckon. That, that was a shocker, admittedly. But um, the Eagles continue to prove most of us pundits wrong. Yeah, you know that things have opened up if Cripps gets four goals. Yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, that's yeah, how yeah, I no, read it. True. And look, tough. They're on the road in Perth for two weeks. Teams have come back from Perth at the new stadium, said it's hard and difficult to play the, the week after, let alone play there the week after. Mm. So, yeah, tough. 
call for Gold Coast and they have not been helped by the Com games. Well, three out of four for the Eagles and a very honourable loss to Sydney. I yeah. reckon they're, um, they're doing really well at the moment. All right, it all wrapped up down at GMHBA, correct? Yes. I'm still getting my head around yep. that. Uh, final game of the round. Look, the Saints, it was probably the sort of scoreline you would have expected. Uh, Cats got up by, what, 47 points. Uh, Menzel, the star there. Um, Saints, pretty inaccurate, 7-14. It could have been closer. Oh, not, yeah. not, not shocking, but that's a sign of the gap between the two sides, I would have thought. Yeah, the effort was there for St Kilda. They won the contested ball, they won the clearances, but they don't have a forward line. Mm. That, um, that, that forward line now is... Even it sort of lost a couple of players. You know, Membry's out for quite a while, and now Bruce and Bruce and and look, McCartan, he's sort of unlucky. You know, he made some good plays and the ball was touched, and he doesn't have enough belief in himself, I don't think. And, and unfortunately for St Kilda, uh, their draw gets even harder. So yeah, you'd look at them already and say, there's absolutely no way they're going to make finals. Oh, no, <laughs> no, they're not making finals. It's how low they can go. It's the limbo season. <laughs> All right, that is it for the wraparound. It's time now for Hot or Not. Okay, finding three likes, three dislikes. Um, I'm feeling pretty positive today after Bombers got up. Uh, I'm going to start with a hot, and his name is Brett Deledio. And I reckon a lot of people thought at the end of last year he was Gornsky. Um... Barely played for him last year. What, seven games, I think, for the whole season for the Giants. Uh, didn't pan out too well for him. He leaves the side. They go on and win a flag and look fine without him. Uh, broke down with injury. What, uh, a calf, Achilles, you name it, he had it. I, th- I reckon he started his season. He's got progressively better each week. And against the Dockers on Saturday, I thought he was terrific. 28 touches. It was back to that sort of incisive Deledio kicking that we used to know, and I thought he was a really important player for them and uh, can be for the whole year. Griffin, um, I'm not throwing him in there as well, but he started to show some signs too. Geez, they've got some depth. You tend to forget about those older guys on the list, but, you know, pretty handy if you can have, say, a Lockie Whitfield or a Brett Deledio coming off a half-back flank or you throw Deledio forward as a medium-sized forward. Very versatile, um, great performance. Hats off to him. I think there's still plenty of uh, life in lids yet. My first hot is North Melbourne playing at Bell Reeve. Might get lost in the fact that they were playing Carlton and it was a comfortable win over a lower side, but they're very good there. Don't forget last mm. year they thrashed Adelaide there, kicked 10 goals to none in the first quarter, had a great gripping win over Melbourne that really cost Melbourne a spot in the eight there. Yeah. Um, they lost one game there, I think maybe to GWS, but they had a good run of wins there previously, and they are, I know you were quite keen on them before the start of the season, rated them higher than most. Or 14. Okay, but if you do think that they're okay, they're even better at Bell Reeve, and I would not be scared to tip them against any team there. Mm. Yeah, I think their best is... I guess that's the point I was making. Their best is uh, far more capable than some people give them credit for. And I think their best is in Hobart. Yeah, no, generally. no it's a fair, fair argument. All right. Uh, my one negative is a not. And, uh, Try to catch the fly there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I stress uh, no knock on the person. 
He's had a bit going on in his life. Uh, his, his wife did give birth to twins on game day last week, so I sort of get it if he's a little bit distracted at the moment. But Adelaide needs Eddie Betts firing, and he really hasn't fired this season much at all. Um, he'd had six disposals till he uh, did his hemi on Friday night, so um, now he's going to be out for a spell. But the reality is, four games, he's only kicked goals in one of them, and that was three against the um, Saints last weekend. So he's averaged two goals or more per game for six out of the last seven years. Uh, he's just been so far and away the best small forward in the comp. Currently, he's averaging 0.8 goals per game. The other element to this is that with Charlie Cameron going, the Crows probably needed as good, if not an even better year from him. So they're getting hurt at ground level. The performance of their key forwards has been a bit sporadic. All the more reason they need him to stand up. Um, and like I said, you know, fair few distractions going on in his life. But uh, yeah, time to pull out a big game, Eddie. The the uh, the Crows need you. With a hamstring injury, might have to wait. Yeah, well, a few weeks at least. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to do one on the on the run. I hadn't prepared for this, but you mentioned Eddie Betts. And uh, the fact that they, he and his partner had twins last week. Look, Gary Rowan and his partner mm. understood that they were in a very difficult situation with the birth of their twin daughters as one suffered. Uh, and they knew this prior to the birth uh, through ultrasound uh, in the womb. They've known for quite a while now that one of their daughters was going to have a very short lifespan. And um, they spent that time beautifully with her and her sister and have sort of told that story with great um, sensitivity and one can only say, you never know a footballer really, do you? Gary Rowan has a touch of the, um, not lair about him on the field, but he's a different sort of footballer. But there was real beauty in uh, his and his wife's story, as tragic as it was. And another player who's dealt with tragedy, Ollie Florent, of course, was the hero with... You know, people are trying to describe that goal that sealed the game against the Bulldogs. It was like this or like that. You know what it was? Don't worry about what it might be as goal of the year. That was a great goal. It was. Goal. Just yeah. a great goal. It was. And I've got to say, a good chase by Tim English too, yeah, who yeah. you know was never going to catch him, but geez, he kept him on us. It was a great goal. Um, just quickly, yeah, echo your words entirely about the Rowan family and nice touch by Luke Beveridge to mention it also at the post-game press conference. I mean, it's only a game, isn't it? Those sort of yeah. tragedies. And the white armbands for, yeah. the, for the surviving... Yeah, no, it was, all, it was yep. all a great touch. So, obviously, our thoughts go out to the Rowan family and the Sydney Swans family as well. Yep. Um, all right, final hot from me, and his name is Mark Lecra. And, uh, again, a bit like Brett Deloitte, I think... It, most people thought he was just about cooked at the end of last season. In fact, I think he thought he was cooked because uh, it looked like he was going to give it away. Basically, he had to be talked out of retirement by, uh, I think it was Josh Kennedy. Um, he's 31, played his 200th game against Gold Coast and was terrific again. And he's having a wonderful season. He's a really smart player, knows how to work into space, deadly around goal. Um, all that seems to be returning. And it's like he's uh, he's got his second wind and there's a lot of things going right for West Coast, but he's right up there to the forefront of it. I think he's been terrific and uh, uh, well, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say to Josh Kennedy? Well persuaded, Josh, because I think uh, Lacroix is proving to be a real asset again. A couple of things about Mark Lacroix. First of all, his family is one of the largest... Um, 
crayfish producing families, fishing and producing. They've got great business. His brother Brent played a couple of games for North, but he's back on the boats. I remember early in his career, Mark Lacroix, and this sort of speaks to the heart of Fox Football's slightly Sydney-centric sports desk. I remember one night hearing that uh, Mark Lecherous had kicked seven for the West Coast Eagles. Was that the same night Buckley resigned? Oh, no, that was Channel 10. And that's Tim Webster. (laughs) But uh, after 200 games, I think nobody can be in any doubt. It's Lacroix and Le Magnifique. All right. Bring us home. I'm going to finish with a knot. Look, I've already said that I think Richmond have put a further space between themselves and the pursuing pack. They are a real chance to go back-to-back. It's an amazing football story for this club. That's the softener-upper, now the whack. Yeah, it is football hubris. And again, it seems to happen to every club that goes out and uh, beats their own chest, blows their own trumpet, hoists their own petard, you name it, with membership numbers. But uh, this week they really made a big song and dance that they were aiming for and on target to be the first club to get 90,000 members. And it just doesn't make sense that you then play at home, the MCG, in front of 32,000 people. I think, you know, three match memberships, memberships if you own a pet sparrow, I don't know. But 90,000 members does not equate to 32,000 at a home game. Do you think they're being more selective about their attendance now? Well, that's I, I, I just wonder whether Richmond supporters love the chase. They, they turned out in huge numbers for two decades, three decades, chasing the Holy Grail. I hope that the fact that they've got it means that they haven't um, sort of all returned to their watering holes in Swan Street and Bridge Road. If I was a Richmond supporter sitting there watching this now, he'd say, oh, righto, so you want to... <laughs> oh, damn this winning games. It's just no good. It's yeah. no fun. I don't want to go to the footy anymore. Where's, you know, they love the frustration of, of Richardson. Oh, come on. You're a St Kilda supporter. I'm joking, I'm joking. The novelty of that wears off, surely. I am joking. But still, 32,000, come on, 90,000 members, do the math. All right. There were some Brisbane fans there too, by the way. How many? Some. They they get (laughs) 3,000, two or three. No, yeah, some uh, very loyal old Fitzroy fans. All right, that's it for Hot or Not. Time now, finally, for the best part of this show. You know where I'm going with this. It's time for the Rant Rant Off. Off. Radio Fine, are you ready to rumble? I'm ready to rant. I'm ready to rant. You don't look ready. You seem a little subdued for you. Rawr! Okay, count me in. You're a T-Rex. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off about football honeymoons, Fine. That's what the first month of a season is, you know. A giant con. It's all sunshine and high scoring and unexpected improvers for a few weeks. And then, bang, reality sets in. It starts pissing with rain. There's fewer goals. The crap teams are still crap. The perennial's still boringly good. And Carlton's rebuild looks like it's going to deliver in about 2050. How's Brisbane's effort against Richmond? One goal to three-quarter time, two for the game. I thought they'd done a wife swap with Melbourne victory, but forgotten to go to Amy Park. And how's their Queensland stable, mate? Gold Coast looked pretty good on the wedding night, but now they can't even remember who they are anymore either. They played a home game in Perth last week, stayed over, and ended up getting belted against both WA teams. By the time they played the Eagles, they'd been there so long they thought it was an intra-club game, and they were the reserves playing the seniors. It's going to be pretty confronting when they finally get home and start whinging about all those people from the eastern states. 
And Carlton, well, the boys have spent two years learning to defend, then did one of those post-school courses in attack. I'm not sure which shonky university they studied it at, but now they can't stop a goal or kick one. And if they cop a couple of injuries, it's game over. Some of those talented kids are starting to look as pissed off as guys like Cade Simpson, as you probably would if you'd played 578 career games for a winning percentage of about 15, which, if we're doing analogies about honeymoons, is about where the Blues are now. The happy snaps have faded, the wedding presents have all been worn out, the bride's getting around in her rollers and tracky dacks, and the groom's farting in bed and scratching his nuts every five seconds. That's football marriage, finey, and like the real thing, it ain't what it's cracked up to be. You're really off honeymoons, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, reality's set in finey. You know, those, those misleading early weeks of autumn, sun shining, autumn leaves, the smells of autumn. Reality set in this weekend. Yep, that's football. And All right. All right, are you angry? Look, I am angry, and I've got a, a sort of advanced warning. This is not exactly 100% football, but there is a football element to you it. You sound far too rational for this minute or so. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Okay, let's see. I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant! Would have been better if you'd said gold, silver, bronze, because the end of the weekend marks the end of the Commonwealth Games, and once again, Australia is the greatest sporting nation in the empire. The Commonwealth, the British realm. Please refer to your maps pre-1938. 198 medals in total, 80 gold, and we shame the other nations. England only had 45 gold. Have a look at countries like Dominica. One silver, one bronze. Pitiful Dominica, you should be ashamed of yourself. Guyana, one gold. Barely a country, barely a tally. And even Botswana, elated with their three golds, nothing. How dare you even enter the stadium with the mighty Australians? We are truly kings of the gold coast. You peons, like the Isle of Man, they won a single silver medal. Pitiful. How about Vanuatu, two bronze? We throw our bronze away, Vanuatu. And as for, well, St. Lucia, one gold medal celebrated. It's nothing. We got 198 medals. It was a wonderful two weeks of competition. Gold rained down on the Gold Coast. Yes, the first week it was torrential gold rain with the swimming, and it eased to golden showers in the second week with the athletics, but it was gold for Australia as we proved to be the kings of empire sport. We are indeed better than England in the pool. Not surprising, given that most English won't jump in a bath. On the bowling green, we shamed both Jersey and Guernsey. And as for our final, our, our coup de grace, we are truly wonderful basketballers when compared to the incompetence of places like Granada. And so what does this have to do with football? Well, I'll tell you. The AFL never misses an opportunity and they will share the glow of golden glory before reality sets in and we compare ourselves to the rest of the world with a tribute. Prepare for a motorcade. I don't think it should be in Melbourne, given that there's 80 gold medals, some teams, a motorcade would just be another traffic jam in traffic jammed Melbourne. I say it goes to Metricon, back to the Gold Coast. 
back to where the people actually believe it was an achievement and it can boost flagging crowd numbers. That's it. Get all the gold medalists back on the Gold Coast in their cars and the AFL can share in the glory and Gold Coast can get over 4,000 to a game. Now that's the Com Games wrap. Bit cynical? Well, you know, when you're taking on islands and dots in the ocean, I can only take it so seriously, really. Well, I'm an enthusiast, fine. <laughs> yes, you... No, I'm not. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Big round four. Hopefully we had something to offer you in the way of analysis. Thanks to MySport Live once again. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Footyology TV. Any final thoughts, Fanny? Well, this round tells us one thing, that the sediment is once again laying at the bottom. Okay. My rudimentary grasp of science tells me that that is geology? No, my friend, that's footyology. <laughs> we'll see you next week.